0: Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. I love that you came back for more. I have an interview today with Colton Bryant. He is the head coach for the women's program at Columbia State Women's Soccer, a program that he actually started himself. and. The reason I've got him involved in this podcast right now is that he and I had some interesting conversation, and we'll get into this in the podcast, about the level of connection with the player. And I think that what he does, if you follow him on online, you'll see that what he does with his players is, it's just, it's the next level of how to engage with an individual and not just treat them as an athlete and not just treat them as someone that can play in a position or execute a game plan. So it's a fantastic interview that I really get into his belief and, and the way he does things and the reason he's having so much success. So definitely stay tuned for for a really good chat with Colton about his his path to the position he's in right now, kind of some of the decisions he's had to make and then taking over at Columbia State and actually saying, hey, I'm going to start this program. And if you've been watching him recently, then they have just gone on and they won their their division so now they're heading into playoffs and it's just it's it's outstanding and I think that he makes some good points about the level of player and not necessarily being in division one but the work that he puts into it away from just expecting the X's and the O's to work but what it takes to build a team and what it takes to look after a character is so so fantastic so definitely listen for more of that. Today's sponsors as always go with Tactical Pad. I love what Tactical Pad are doing and it continues to be a great tool for me working through my A license right now and I actually use some of that material in demonstrating the sessions that I'm going to deliver whilst I'm in Kansas working through the license and then also in some of the video footage that I have to submit as part of the assignments away from the class. So if you have any questions about that definitely let me know, but Hit up Tactical Pad, go to leadunsoccer.com check out Tactical Pad on there. You get yourself a little discount to use the tools. It's a fantastic tool and I can't say enough about it. And then of course to Soccer Innovations for the tactics board that I use, it's so simple just to show the players what you're doing as you're moving the X's and O's around and say this is you, what do you think here or what do you think there? So Soccer Innovations, Tactical Pad, you two are fantastic and if I'm a soccer coach looking for that next level, those are two things that I'm definitely going to consider. So here we go, getting into this conversation with Colton Bryant from Columbia State Women's Soccer. Doing all right mate, how are you? Great. Can't complain. Cannot complain. <laughs> so you've been uh, you teaching this morning is that what you doing? Or this afternoon? Yeah, so
1: I have a just one class, part of my, my deal as a head coach, I have one class I have to teach a semester. So what? I had exercise science earlier.
0: Exercise science. You uh, you enjoy the teaching side of it or you just kind of accept it as part of the role?
1: Um, I don't mind it. It I wish it was a I don't know. Maybe an easier class to teach, maybe in during the season, and then give me exercise science in the second season. Um, but what I do like about it is that we have a lot of athletes in the class, and I like knowing the um, players from the other teams. So that, that's a that's a nice thing, and it it boosts our our attendance at our games because they they want to come watch.
0: That's a really interesting perspective too, because I think a lot of people probably are worried about their own athletes or their own environment and not really see much else. So that's a really, that's a really good opportunity to get involved, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's a good opportunity for me to learn them. And then basically, you know, obviously it, it creates sort of a nicer on-campus so I've walking around, I can say, what's up, and maybe a name with them rather than, hi, how are you, or something like that. I don't know, makes it more personable.
0: Yeah, I believe yeah. that for sure. So, how long have you been there for, Colin? I uh,
1: started the program for the first ever time last year. They never had a women's program here before last year.
0: how did you, uh, how did you get into it? Um, well I was living in I
1: was living in South Florida at the time, and my basically my mother was, had gotten a little sick and I didn't like being so far away and so there was an opportunity that I, I ran tournaments all around the country for full time anyway, so I still had like. Employment. I could really live wherever I wanted. Sure. But I was coaching at a at a DA down in South Florida, and then um, when mother got sick, I decided to go ahead and pack up and come back to Tennessee because I wanted to be closer to her. And then I just basically went to the school athletic director and um, proposed that you know offering a, a program would be would be good. It would be an idea for this area. Soccer is really, really, really big in this area, and then. Basically, we worked together and put together a minimal budget, um, a first-year budget, just to see if we could get it going, and it took a long time for the school to, um, well, not really the school, it took a long time for once the school approved it, the NJC, which is the governing body, it took a while for them to approve it, and then I actually accepted a job in California the day before the school called me and said that everything was cleared, do I still want it? (laughs) So I had to call back. in california and basically
0: say i wasn't coming um kind of overview for somebody to see that and i i mean i speak to full-time coaches all the time and a lot of the time they say that to be a full-time coach they're they're scraping pennies you know they're working so hard and they're coaching so many teams but i think if you see a bigger picture like this there are so many opportunities in which you can create your own pathway and you can effectively build your own like you have done you've built your own program and you find somewhere that is clearly going to benefit from something like this it's it's an interesting perspective for somebody to look at it in a different way instead of relying yeah, on the typical club environment I, mean, I, don't, I don't want it to be i guess misunderstood at all in the sense of
1: i mean my deal for the first year i was very fortunate that i ran tournaments all around the u.s um and was a, and was a full-time director um but i I'm not going to lie. I mean, my first year here at the college, um, it was a bet. It was a gamble on myself. It was a gamble on local talent. And then the deal was I had to take my first year. I only got – I was part-time. I, was, I only was on a $10,000 contract. And then um, my recruiting budget was less less than – well, a lot less than what it was supposed to be and, and whatnot. But, it. I mean, to be full-time, I think it, there's a certain level – of work you have to meet and you have to prove but I feel like once you've done that and I mean even once you've done it in a different place like I I had been on staff for a national championship in 2013 but I still had to prove myself here um, which was fine with me I was willing to do that that was part of my deal so um, it's a very interesting perspective but I mean it was a lot of work it was a lot of work to get it
0: all going so you've always been interested in the college games that we've Kind of where you pushed to be, or is that something that you just kind of fell into?
1: Uh, I, man, I'm, i in terms of when, it, when when someone says they got lucky and they they strolled upon something, it really <laughs> is what happened. Um, <laughs> I tore my ACL for my third time um, going into college, and basically my doctor said like you you can't play anymore. It won't be it, it won't be ideal. It won't be good. And instead of my coach, um, I'm I'm very fortunate that I chose a head coach that was very good and understood a lot more than just, you know, winning him games and whatnot. And he actually got me into coaching through, like, doing little, you know, day camps around the the local area. And then just basically, when when we won nationals and he left, I just started – I basically took all of his day camps, he gave me all the contacts, and I started a training-based academy off of it, and then um, that's how my my own, I mean, I own something called Premier Football Tech now, it's just training for like private sessions or group sessions, and now we have like a recruitment thing off of it, but um, it all started by me getting hurt and my coach saying, hey, you can still help, and then... you you know, your side job to to fulfill your scholarship will be to be a student assistant. You'll have to assist. and So, I mean, I I basically did all the grunt work for for him for a long time. I remember one summer, my job was to find every NAIA team in the country and have their head coach, assistant coach, everybody's uh, email addresses put into a database. I mean, (laughs) that was one of my jobs to fulfill my scholarship, and I had to do it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, that, um, that it's, it's a foot in the door, right? I know so many people do so much of the same stuff. I mean, I, I get emails all the time about tournaments and about recruiting things that are going on, and I fully believe that somebody else, if they haven't brought that list, they are doing the same level of research that you did then, too. <laughs> you you, exactly. you have a new appreciation for, for the side of business when you go through that sort of stuff. Exactly, and I was
1: doing that at 17, 18, 19 years old, so... I got a lot of, you know, that type of experience early. And then, honestly, the way I became a tournament director was so funny. We, we used to, as players, have to work tournaments um, hosted by a booster of our program. And, well, I say booster. He donated to the program for us going out and working. And um, I just, I guess, did well as a field marshal. And then the next year, I became... Like given a, a leadership role to move the boys around, keep them all on different time frames, blah blah blah. And then my, by my junior senior year, I was basically doing the tournament myself. And then the the main director could actually get another one going because I ran it from I ran it from uh, that complex. So then it ended up he offered me a full time job as soon as I I graduated. That I'm telling you, it's crazy how that that led to another, I mean, we, we ended up running Riados which is the biggest youth international tournament in the country. And while I was in school, um, they always, you know how, like when, when people go on visits, you always have those ambassadors at the school show you around. Yeah. Well, I always did, I was a chatterbox and I always did that for our school and never asked for a scholarship because to be honest, I didn't know you could get one. And then one day one of the doctors of the school came up to me and was like, Hey, we know you like soccer. Um, we know Messi is from Rosario, Argentina, and we're we're partnered with a school in Rosario. Uh, do you want to go? I was like, no, because I can't I can't afford it. And they said, we're going to lose our partnership if we don't send students. So um, we'll scholarship you.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: So off I off I went. Yeah, off I went to Rosario, Argentina, and honestly, I just I saw I was walking distance from Newell's Old Boys. So it was about a 10 minute walk. So I just went and bugged the shit out of anyone I could, and so they let me be a, a janitor slash comb pickupper. and then next thing you know, I got to make friends with some of the coaches and then was able to work in their academy, and long story short, the academy director of Monterey Rayados, who we hosted Copa Rayados for, um, was from Argentina, so when he met me and he, he learned that I lived in Argentina and had that experience at Newell's Old Boys, he... He let me go to Mexico with him in Monterey, and I got to do some work in Monterey. And it just literally—I stumbled upon it. I was so lucky on everything, but um, <laughs> I was prepared for the opportunity when it was there. So I guess that's that's where I'm—I'm I'm proud of. I was happy I was able to do it, but I was lucky that the opportunities did come.
0: That's incredible. That's that the whole, and we'll get into kind of this this culture. But if you have this culture about yourself, where you're open and you, you want to learn and, and you just, you can you can effectively go for anything that you think is really going to be beneficial to you or even just kind of figure it out. I've been to so many situations where I think, actually, I have I bettered myself here? Maybe not, but I've taken away something that I can learn from. And I think this is the same for you that, hey, I've got this opportunity to go. Why would I not go? And then sure enough, further down the road, it just continues to deliver.
1: Exactly. Doors are, doors are. as soon as they open, you don't just walk back out of them. I don't believe in burning bridges. I think that once you walk through a door, multiple doors open. And it's just a matter of, you know, at the end of the day, it's just doing you what you can do and the best you can do every time you do it.
0: Just roll with it, right? It's uh, the, the, yeah. This is the great thing about soccer too. It's, it's global. So you can go, I, mean, I came from the UK and, now here I am, living in California, working on the field four days a week and working for a youth soccer league. And it's, it's, a, it's an incredible world, but it's still the same game and it will continue to open doors and continue to take me to places that I could never imagine, all because of just rolling with it and, and loving the game. So then you got, a, uh, you got your master's in coaching education. I had no
1: intention of starting my master's straight away but I got a call from a recruiter from Xavier for a master's program. And at first I told her, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't afford it. And then she just kept bugging me, but I guess it worked. So I just was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll do it. So I actually didn't mean to do that either. They just kind
0: of annoyed me. So I did it. People are going to listen to this and be like, man, I got to get some of whatever he's got in his life. <laughs>
1: no, but like, it, it, honestly, it's, when people talk to me, and they're, they're, there's a lot of people that I'll talk to me and be like, no, you got to be BS in this. And, that, and that's not the case. It's actually not the case at all. I've just really been been fortunate. I really have been blessed with, I guess, just opportunities that just happen to pop up.
0: So we recently um, kind of went back and forth a little bit on some, some Twitter. Twitter's kind of the, the center of the coaching world, it seems. And so... There was somebody who had tweeted about this uh, this player that was or was not working hard in practice and, and what they can do about that. And I'm sure there's multiple uh, opinions on it. And you and I kind of had a, had a difference. And I think that's kind of what led me to engaging in this conversation. And I think I come from this objective position or pose- where I really think that there could be measurements. And then you come from a little bit of a different way, which is, where you're engaging the player on if they believe they have done the best that they can do. So kind of want to get into this idea and I think maybe that's where some of your master stuff came from that we got to but like what is what does this idea come from kind of this of uh, this non objective position if you like it's not you saying you didn't make the make good enough time or good enough passes but it's kind of onto the player.
1: Yeah because you know I guess it all came – it started with – during my master's, we were challenged with a lot of questions. And I, I all I learned through education, all education, not just my master's, but all education, was we try and objectify too many things. Um, I think that in our own schooling system, you know, standardized tests are no – I mean, I'm one of those students that I literally, if I, if I applied myself at all just to listen in class, I never had to study. But that's a, that's a very, that's a blessing because there's a lot of kids that listen in class, really, really study, and then they still don't make the grades I would have made. That doesn't make me any smarter or them any more stupid. It just means that we both were given different challenges and have to cope with them differently. So I just feel that um, objectifying a player's, talent is, is total BS because nobody will I mean people can try and train the same people can grow up the same exact way Messi did do the exact things he did from day to day basis and not be as good as Messi because there's just a certain there's certain thing about him that makes him better now there's also a certain level of Messi that if he didn't work to achieve that potential he wouldn't have, uh, have achieved it so then my, my view on success and my view on development is if a player can genuinely say they've done their absolute best, whether it's in training, whether it's how they're eating, whether it's outside ex- uh, outside exercise, um, honestly, whether it's just total life balance, because there's a lot of um, athletes that work really, really, really hard and they don't have that that social balance on the outside. And next thing you know, is it's not that they beat themselves up through overthinking and maybe even um, you know little hints of depression because they're not reaching the level they want to rather than the athlete that may not be as working as hard but has the social interaction and the social help on the outside that pushes them each and every day. And as long as they're doing their best to reach their potential, I think that's, that at least puts the ball in their court and we can objectify by how happy they are. I mean, if you don't succeed in terms of a result, but you know you did your best, then, then you're never too upset. Like, I've never been upset when my, my teams have lost, as long as I know we did our best to prepare. Now, it sucks as a coach, because we can't we can't always guarantee that our players have done their best on their own part, but we've done our best for them. So, as long as I've done my best, I'm not going to take a loss, personally. It's just, you know, it's, it's just unfortunate. And I think, during my Masters, we had to read and dissect the book written by John Wooden, and... Um, I think that that helped me shape that mentality. I don't think that's necessarily his his take on it. I think it's my my interpretation and my spin upon what I read of John Wooden. Right. But there there were a lot of principles in there that he he stuck to that I thought were pretty cool. I mean, if they didn't have a haircut and clean shave, they don't get on the bus. So then next thing you know, your leading scorer is told they're not getting on the bus to go to a big away game. Um, how many coaches would do that today? And at the end of the day, are coaches favoring better players over the non-better players? And if you can't hold, you know, it's the little things that if you hold them accountable for, that they're not able to achieve some, as, as simple as, you know, a, cer- a certain haircut that he knew about way ahead of time um, or a certain way to look, which I don't necessarily believe in, but I do believe in the pen. Uh, I think we gauge it too much upon how others can do, not necessarily how that individual can do.
0: So I yeah it does and I I agree with you that there there can't be this I guess this standardized measurement right so that's kind of where I think maybe I'm looking at it from so this I, we expect every player to be able to do X Y and Z and that's where I think I kind of struggle with some clubs that will have like a curriculum that by thirteen every player will be able to do all of these things and so maybe. You talked about um, like a kid falling through an agility ladder when you know that last week they were doing the agility ladder and they did it just fine. So from a personal perspective, I know if I go to the gym and I have a hard day, I know that sometimes I can't always lift the same weight or perform the same actions that I did, but inside perhaps i can say well i turned up i gave it my best shot so then how do you how do you have that conversation with an athlete or with an individual and i guess it might be might be two questions in that the you see the player is struggling but you can you feel like they're trying and then to the other side of it which is what the tweet was about was that they feel like the player wasn't doing what they could do. So how do you have that conversation with a player when perhaps you feel like you know that they're not doing what they could? So, and that's where I think I needed to be better when
1: replying. I I just think that in in the character limit, there's not a proper answer (laughs) to it outside of, I'm going to be honest, outside of you put it on the the, the notes and everything, like the coach-athlete relationship. like it. There's a certain level of trust you have to build with a player to be able to go up to them and say, I know that's not your best. There's also a certain level of trust you are building while you're learning that flair when you're saying, hey, keep going, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. So maybe, like you said, when you go in the gym, you did better last week, but it, instead of you saying, well, I'm here, I'm trying, that's good enough. Well, it's, I'm here, I'm trying, what weight can I do? And then if you, if, if you can't do what you did last week, but you do 20 pounds lighter, and that was the max you could do while getting your results, well, then that is good but it's not good enough just to say I'm here. So I think that's where the, the misconception comes in, and that's where um, my players all know. See, I'm in a different situation. I'm in a collegiate setting, so it's a, probably different than what he was even asking. But for me, it's a matter of um, building the relationship with them and then like, breaking that down to that key for them. Like I know if a player's not doing what they can do, I can give them scenarios, and if I want, I can go get film and show them what I know they can do. And at the end of the day it's it's a trust thing because most of my players look at me and say you know what i know i'm sorry and i'm like don't don't apologize to me apologize to yourself because you're trying to get yourself to a level i didn't talk you into playing soccer um your parents didn't talk you into it maybe at a young age but now you're at the collegiate level um if you're here you need to be here like mentally physically emotionally i don't need you it's not good enough to just show up i don't care if you're not putting the 30 goals in in practice you normally would I care that you're getting the 25 that you can. Um, I care that you finish the ones that if you're if you're in a dip in form, that's fine. A dip in form doesn't give you an excuse to miss a tap-in. You make your tap-in and by making those tap-ins, you'll find yourself back in form, if that makes
0: sense. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's
1: not always being perfect. It's always trying to be
0: perfect. Yeah. So then what do you, um, in terms of exploring the idea of building trust with players and i'm currently going through my a license and we're doing there's a there's a the coaching is is a portion of it but there's so much that we're working through away from it so we're looking at analysis and things like that but we're also doing a lot of individual development so working with players and setting in in individual development plans and kind of goals or at least beginning to inquire more about who our players are and so how do you? So, that to me is like a huge factor for building trust with a player because then I can ask them questions about where they maybe want to go when they get to the collegiate level if they want to play. So, my kids are 13, 14. So, we're looking at what high school do you want to go to? Where do you want to play soccer? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to go to the pros? And of course, most of them say, yes, they want to be a pro. But part of, I think, building trust with players will be that process of, understanding who they are because then they feel like you would probably understand them and then they feel more comfortable in talking to you. So do you have like a process that you go through in building trust with players? And I'm sure in the collegiate environment, it's a little perhaps easier because you see them more often. Um Yes and no. I mean, I think there's a certain,
1: I don't, it's so, it's so hard for me to explain this because I, I don't think there's a, a set tool, you know, like I Always start out with hello, and then however the conversation goes. If they're a quieter kid, it's going to be a lot more work. I'm going to have to speak to them on the side. I'm going to have to make them feel uncomfortable. But as long as they most most of the time, as long as they feel uncomfortable, they just think I'm that crazy, that crazy older person that just wants to speak to them because I'm supposed to. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, uh, it's about gauging their personality and everything because I have players that. They feel like they're entitled to me speaking to them like that, and then there's times that they look at me funny when, I, when I'm harder on them. But at the end of the day, I don't – the reality of my job is at the collegiate level, and it's nice at the collegiate level, but I, I treat it the same way everywhere. The reality of it is, as a coach, we're supposed to win. That's the reality. But the way I, I try and go about it is I don't – my win-loss column is not my win-loss column in terms of one zero two zero. Uh, all of my players know that, especially my girls, my, my high school boys, they say the same. But um, my win-loss column is, will they, do they go that extra that extra mile that day to say happy birthday to me? Or am I going to get a wedding invite in the future? That's how I gauge my success. So by doing that, um, I think you can be on a team that doesn't win and build stronger relationships than anything because you're, you're building through adversity. I think you can be on a team that wins and be more disconnected than than you've ever been with any of your players because a, a certain level of winning comes a certain level of comfort, and I think that for me, every player is differently, and I have to treat it that way. So I can't really answer the question per se outside of I, I just I just speak to them and see see where it goes, <laughs> um, and that that's like a, that's just my sort of way. There's there's certain standards that and and relationships that I that they all they all have the same so for example specifically here with my college girls is that um, I'll say hello I'll be talking to you I'll text you how you're doing how's life going you can talk to me about anything but I'm not having the hey you going anywhere tonight like going out to a bar conversation thats but that that's not the conversation I, I'm ever having it's always how are things how are things at home are your parents um, are your parents? Well, with you right now, or you're your in a relationship not well. I'll speak to them about their their boyfriends, whatever it may be, but that, that's sort of just talking about life. Um, I think that there's a certain level of relationship that can be overstepped, and I think that at the end of the day, you are their coach, which means you can be that mentor figure, but you can't
0: be that best friend. It's probably some of the most rewarding times when a player comes to you and says, Coach, I've got this issue, or coach, what do you think about this? Like when they, it's when the you're feeling in the world, oh, yeah, it's amazing. Even yeah, though it, it, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure about that one, or let me, uh, let, let, let's talk about that a little bit more, but it's, it's so rewarding.
1: It is because they're willing to speak to you. And, you know, I, I it's about the, the whole reason I've ever gotten into it. I know a lot of coaches say it, and I know it sounds a cliche, but I'm a walking cliche, so it is what it is. <laughs> Um, I really did get into it because I wanted to be who I needed when I was younger. Um, not necessarily when, when my mom first heard me say that as a coach, she was like, did I not do good enough? I was like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, what I'm saying is my coaching thing is I, I want that person. There's certain things you just don't go to your mom about, but you could look to an older person and maybe speak to them about and respect them. Everyone has that hero that's outside of the immediate family, and um, I wish I had one. And so my goal is, you know, I would like to – it's hard to do creating that relationship and also being able to be hard on them, but that's also where I think you find the most success is in that gray area, that that uncomfortable area for both of you in terms of, yes, you're trying to build the relationship, but you've also got to keep them at a level that they can't do whatever they want and get away with it, specifically if it's your best player, which I think is what – for example, I think that's what that question is hinting on, so I'm leaning that way. Sure. I think it's the best player knows that they're the best player, and they don't want to be held accountable at practice because they know they can threaten to quit, and 90% of coaches will beg them to come back. Um, that's that's not my style. If my best player threatens to quit, I just tell them leave because if you're threatening me, then we have a certain respect that we don't have for each other now, and until we have it, it will never work anyway.
0: to go back to that kind of connection with players is it's really easy to focus on the top 5% of your team and I think a lot of coaches can acknowledge that and then it's the rest of the players that you may forget about or they'll they're kind of on the fringe and I remember working through um through a meeting for my B license uh, a couple of years ago and part of the conversation was talking about your coaching manner and and the way you the way you present yourself and one of the questions was about how many times you say certain players names and so when i did a a filming of a session for for the a license i counted through it how many times i said certain players names and there were and then the, the attitude towards those players and there was one or two players that only ever had negative comments towards them or kind of instructional comments and then there was other players who were the typical stronger players on the team that had that, those points coming to them that were you know great job or they were, they were more engaging with them. And then I often wondered why certain players I could never really get more than two words out of and then other players that I could connect to and talk to all day long. And that was a really interesting perspective that you do have a team of however many players and it's not just the 5% of top players.
1: Yeah, it, you know, and I don't think that that, I think that's a good activity, but I don't think it's a fair depiction, so um, that's one practice. Nobody knows what led up to that, so what you'll you'll often find is maybe you, if you're anything like me, I'm, I always make it clear I'm the hardest on my best players. That's that's the first thing that everyone, all my players know, is I'm going to be the hardest on my best one, um, because I don't want anyone that's giving me less than what they can to say that I go easy on the best one. Um, but with that said, there's Um, let's say you're super super hard on one you know last practice and you got that in mind like your best player you were hard on well I bet that next practice you're more positive to them so that activity itself won't reflect the week or the month or the the year of what you've been doing you see what I mean? It Have to be a consistent that activity every time because there's certain ones that you've been nice to that you need to be able to correct and you just gotta know when to do that and I think that when you objectify it like that activity, it's great for detail, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And I think the only thing that can ever tell the whole story is what's what's going on in our minds. We as coaches truly have to believe that what we're doing is the right thing. And if we truly believe that, I don't I don't need a rubric or an objectifying thing to critique a player. As long as I have the relationship with the player and they trust that what I'm saying is is you know authentic. You know what I mean? There's a certain just a certain level of they don't need to see numbers. They need honesty. Completely. I have players here, some girls, I've read them wrong, and sometimes I'm too nice to them, and they're like, Coach, tell me what I need to do better. <laughs> so one of the games, we had a girl that she, she thought that she wasn't performing well. I thought she was doing fine, but I realized that she needed to face her fear, fear. So normally whenever they get in that way, I take them off. This specific girl, this game, I just said, Look, the more you mess up, the more you fight yourself, the longer I'm keeping you on. You better adapt or it's going to be a long game. And she had the best second
0: half of her life. Which is really interesting because you're right. Most of the time, players like that just be pulled off the field and, and we'll talk about it later on or I'll show you some film. So then let's... Um... We kind of talked a little bit too about individual goals. So how you think maybe those individual performance goals may be hindering players' decision-making. And I think I kind of get you on that point in terms of them suddenly being focused on those specific points. So then... Kind of, what do you? How do you approach individuals? Is it just knowing that they are doing their best, knowing that that's your relationship with them, and you understand, like you just said, when they need to be pushed or when they need to be kind of looked after a little bit more, or do you approach it in a different way?
1: It, it, like I said, it'll always depend on the athlete. Like there's there's kids that I will tell them that I think that they're doing their best, and I absolutely know that they're not. And the best part is they know it's not their best. And then what you'll end up finding is they'll be asking questions. Questions that they ask or comments that they make can give you a lot of detail as to how authentic they're being in front of you. Hey, look, I know you're doing your best, but I'm gonna have to move you over there because I'm gonna be honest with you, you're not,
0: you're not beating this player. Maybe, and he would look at me like he thinks I can't beat this player. And
1: the next thing he would do is go do it. So it's almost like telling, telling them, hey, it's reverse psychology in a sense of. It's how you can get the best out of him, by challenging him or by by not even challenging him, by saying, look, I concede that you're not going to be able to get past him. That pissed him off, and he went and got past him. Well, that happened to be my best player who was voted number one ECNL player in the country last year for his age group. Well, at the end of the day, my question to him after the game was in that moment, I used it that way, but I always use those little side coaching moments, and I grabbed him, and I just said, why did you need me to do that for you to beat him? And he was like, I don't know, it was just getting in my head. And I said, well, what could get in your head more than me saying you can't do it? He goes, well, that pissed me off, so I went and did it. Said, okay, so just do that every time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: what I mean? So every player you, you just handle it with differently. It's all personality types. But where coaches, I think, get it wrong is they don't – and I don't want to say get it wrong because I don't think I'm right necessarily. I think that I like my way. And if it, if it works, great. If it doesn't, I need to adapt. But I feel that if you learn the player – you can you can spin a web however you need to um, you can know they're one way and spin a web a whole different way just to challenge them you can know they're one way you can feed into that it depends on the moment depends on, it, it, it has so many variations as to what topic you're on why you're on that topic how you've treated them in recent times and for me I, I take all of that into account Not, and I'm but I'm crazy all my players will, I will text them if they have questions i'll sit and talk to them for hours if they have questions as long as i have the time i just think that there's just a certain understanding as a person before you can get the player i don't think it's possible
0: which so then i guess for my own curiosity really in terms of do you ever write anything down for players Do you ever present like development plans Do you ever present like goals or targets or anything like that for them
1: Development plans, no. I give them like little stupid things like, I don't want to say stupid, but I'll go up to one of my players, my leading goal scorer, and be like, all right, I'm looking for 10 tomorrow night. Because if I say, hey, I really need you to score tomorrow night, there's a pressure that if they don't score, it's not good enough. If I say, hey, I need 10, it's funny because no one's going to score 10 in a game usually, but they, they usually are, are used to getting one. So they think it's funny, but at the same time, I've just challenged them to go get them at least a goal. Sure. Um, so it's how the, but it's also saying that to the player that I know is going to take it that way. Um, so in terms of each player, if I see a player that's not confident and I don't want to give them goals because if they're already not confident, they're going to beat themselves up over the goals. But what I will do is go find clips and when I'm doing my game breakdown, clips of things they did very, very well. And I'll say, Hey this is very, very well, what would you do to add on to it? And then they can visualize and add to it. And then I can say, okay, and I I don't believe in, I do believe in positivity. I don't believe in negativity, but I do believe that you can be demanding without demeaning. I do believe you can give constructive feedback or constructive questions. So for example, I might show them a clip of something they did that was horrendous. And I would just say, obviously this wasn't right what would you have switched and why? And what they'll end up finding is, is there's players in that clip that are specifically placed in specific spots that maybe led them to do something. So then maybe it wasn't their fault, maybe it was someone else's. I'm okay with telling them that. I just want to go through all scenarios and give them all ideas of how they could do better. But that's the tactical piece of it. Um, the one thing that we don't have a – um, basically a zero-tolerance policy on is how you, how you speak to them. So I could tell someone to shut up, and I could ask them to please be quiet. They both mean the same thing, but one of them takes it a different way. So how we speak to our teammates in, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? Or, hey, good try, you'll do better, is totally different. So in terms of how they perform, that's fixable. But how we speak to people is, is always the same. We always have to be encouraging, always be positive. We can be constructive. But the players have that same free realm, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question completely outside of our model is to always give our best and be the best and encourage to be the best. And what we find is by taking that personal route, that's something that if in a bad, you can be in the worst mood ever. You can, you can fake a smile and you can fake a, hey, do better. You can. But you might not be able to always make that perfect touch every time. But if you can get the personable piece right, the tactical piece will come. It's just how it's delivered. So at the beginning of the season, we had a lot of struggle. Now we're getting through games a lot easier. But we had to learn each other. It had nothing to do with tactical differences, if that
0: makes sense. It does completely. And I think that you're, you pinned a tweet, too, about kind of this, this fun environment, even in an elite setting. And you mentioned that enjoyment plus potential equals the developmental environment and then that developmental yeah. environment equals limitless potential and so my understanding from that and what we've just talked about for the last 40 minutes or so is that you, you we don't have to necessarily put these things out like i don't need you to score two game two goals in every game and that's that's you being successful this season but if i am creating an environment in which our language towards each other is correct and i agree with you that you can say shut up or you can say please be quiet and that please be quiet goes so much further so then we know what our environment is and that creates that limitless potential because we are in a safe space we're in a place where it doesn't matter what these written goals may or may not be because we don't necessarily need them because we're in a space where we are constantly striving to be better yeah we have we have A cornerstone, which is
1: belief. Our program was built off belief, and then our three pillars. That there is no ifs ands or buts about it. You must meet these, and that is number one, character. Number two, um, hardworking, and then number three is oh my goodness, I just went completely blank. Number oh, number three is organized, and that doesn't (laughs) that can apply to everything. So you can be hardworking and not organized. Well, if you're hardworking and not organized, you're the player with the chicken with his head cut off. working really, really hard, but you're in the wrong spots. If you're organized and working hard, but you have a bad character, then you're that player that is a world-beater, like he said in a tweet in games, but then in practice you're not so good. If you're a player with good character and organized, but you don't work hard, well, then you're missing – those three things, I think, are the things that are what keep everything together. So what we have to always strive to be – no one's always going to be the hardest-working player on the field – but they can try. And we can definitely tell when you try and when you don't try. So there's the big difference. Um, we can tell not everybody's going to have a perfect day, not going to react to everything perfectly, but we can try to not say what's on our mind when we want to, even in, during a bad day. Sometimes it slips, all of us. However, we can try. And the, the more we minimize the negative random things you say, and the more we minimize, you're not working hard, the more we minimize, you're not being organized, whether that's on the field or in life, um, that will maximize overall development and potential. So we're trying to minimize the things that, like too many coaches will say, you're making these runs and it's just not good enough, blah, 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 blah. Well, then what is good enough? They're trying, and they're trying, oftentimes players will try their best based upon a practice. But... They're they're doing their best. What they think is what the coach wants. And the coach is saying, well, this isn't good enough, but then what is? So it's about, okay, you've made this decision. That's fine. Here's other options and ideas. So if presented the same problem, maybe you can work through it. So I showed them that they did something wrong, and then I showed them how maybe other ideas of how to fix it. Or maybe not even that they did something wrong. Maybe they just did something, and that – That's not what I would have done, but it's all an idea. I'm just a a coach for me as a part of the team. You're not necessarily, you're not a dictator. You just have a little bit more decision-making authority, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I I wanted to get into kind of this team culture, and I know we've, we've touched on it a lot, and I think it's really humbling when you can have a player approach you and maybe perhaps in your environment, and I, don't, I maybe you can answer if it's like a captain type environment where the captains will bring things to you if anybody can. But I know from previous experience, I, I am open to any player approaching me and last weekend, we played three in the back. And this weekend, three of the players said, oh, think, coach, that we could play four. And here is what we could do. And I know my younger self as a coach with an ego would have said, get out of here, I'm the coach. But it's actually super humbling when your players, and it's, it's really exciting, actually, when your players are in an environment where they are comfortable and they're confident enough to bring things like that to you.
1: So what you just, what you, that's so hard to explain. What you've just said is what I've been trying to get at. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about the players being, one, like you said, comfortable, but also comfortable to speak to you. But my, my issue with my players last year was I get more offended as a coach if they're too afraid to talk to me because that means that there's got to be something somewhere that I've not done right that they feel I will react in a way that is beyond what I should.
0: Yeah, it's almost personal, right? Like, I'm, I, I, that hurts that you didn't want to come and tell me that.
1: Exactly. And that's how they all know I am about everything, whether it's um, scholarships, whether it's during the recruiting process, I'm the same way. Um, I tell every one of my recruits that I take care less. If, not that I care less. Obviously, if I'm recruiting you, I want you. But if you <laughs> commit somewhere else, I will be pissed if I find out online not you calling me and telling me it's just a respect thing because at the same sense i flip the script on them i'm like well if you're not entitled and you don't have to do that i also don't have to tell you if i'm offering you or not you can find out that i offered someone else a different way i just i personally would always call so it's one of those it's all about being personable and i think i think people find it funny even when i tweet after someone will text me and say that they're committing or something, my reply is always something stupid. Like this last one was, yo, uh, welcome to the family after they sent this long and real formal text. But kids are brought up saying that they're supposed to talk to us a certain way. But I feel like you should speak to people. I don't know how to explain this, but through the vibe, you get off them. So if if a professor is speaking to me and they're really nice, they're really cool. I don't need to be so formal all the time. Um, I I go along with,
0: you know, you read people and then you react how you read, if that makes sense. Completely. So
1: every every player, uh, you can tell certain things and if you need to be more formal with them, that's fine. I can be as formal as I need to be. Um, But if you can tell a player is nervous or whatnot, maybe I just go and say something stupid off the bat to make myself look worse, just so they feel more comfortable saying, oh my goodness, he messes up too. So if I mess up while speaking, it's not a problem. Is a perceived interpretation of action so every problem could normally be solved by a conversation a lot of times we we build a scenario in our head that doesn't exist so for example we had one with a player oh our player she just keeps saying this to me He's like well is she wrong no okay then why are you here telling me this well it's how she says it okay well go talk to her tell her that you're understanding the message Get that you're doing this wrong you would just you know maybe hopefully get a better message out of it and For me, that's a problem with one player that doesn't need to be had. The other one doesn't even know about it. So unless we're reading each other's minds, we can't fix
0: it. So they have to speak to each other first before coming to me. Have to. It's like when my wife says we need to talk, and I think, oh, my goodness. Like, what Did I not do something? Does she not like me anymore? And then we have that conversation, and she says, no, I just needed to find out what you want for dinner.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But we all have these scenarios we create in our heads. So... My thing is, just have the conversation, just have it, because most of the time it's a it's a mis- misinterpretation, misinterpretation, or you might find that there is a bad apple somewhere within the group that's mis um, that's changing words, and by doing so, by by having conversations, you bring those those bad apples to light, those story spinners to light.
0: So I recently um, interviewed another uh, one of my new friends, Byron, and he talked with his he talked a lot about his team culture and how they have this motto of win the day. So regardless of results, you know, you can always walk away, like you say, knowing that you've done as good as you could have in that moment, in that day, in that experience in that, whatever, whatever had happened. So do you have, do you, do you have anything like that? Do you have a way that you would summarize your program to recruits or is there anything like significant that stands out like that, that you would, that you would um, share with them and kind of live by? Was it your three, your three pillars? Is that what you kind of go with?
1: So the three pillars is what I, is everything that we will always say to players except the the very big message I get to all my, my recruits is, um, we want to be the program that, that players want to join, not that I have to convince them. So in terms of recruiting, I'm a backwards recruiter. I tell you what we are, um, what, what I what, what I envision, what the girls envision us to become. And if, if they think that if we say Nationals is what we would like to become, then I, th- I view it as a compliment that we're recruiting this player. Some recruits look at it as, well, they're crazy. They're not going to be able to do that. Well, you're right. If we can't get the right players, we can't go win nationals. But it should be a compliment to you that we, we think you're the player that can help us move that direction. So with that said, it's how, it's how they interpret the school recruiting them, but at the same time how they respect themselves. I think that players oftentimes, when they say it's B1 or BUS, I think they're not respecting themselves. I think that they're putting themselves in a bad situation um, because B1 or BUS isn't necessarily the way. I think we're creating something special. You'll see me tweet or say all the time, we're creating something special, but it's it's not a gimmick. Um, Every recruit that comes and visits, I'll say, you know, I've told you a billion times we're creating something special. I hope now you understand. And they say, yes, I have no idea how to explain it, but you're right. Because I think what we're we're building here is not based upon a model other than people. We are building better people. We are building care for people. My goal every preseason is to make them cry in the locker room through empathy. We ask them questions. We ask them to get deep. We ask them to be vulnerable. But by doing so, we learn a lot about each other, whether it's me, whether it's them. We can ask whatever questions we want. Um, It's just a matter of being open, vulnerable, and, and building off that. So we're afraid to even be complimented because we are afraid that it's taking us cocky. We're not giving you a compliment because we're supposed to. We're giving you a compliment because you deserve it. I had a girl the other day I was going to put on. I could tell she didn't feel comfortable. We were playing the number 20 team in the country. We were were tied 0-0, but in terms of the game, we were doing really, really well. We had more shots, more possession, more everything. And then we had an injury. And I looked at her while she was warming up, and I just said, are you ready? And don't take that the wrong way. Are you prepared to go in? Because if you're not, we have a player that can. And she looked at me and said, no, coach, honestly, I'm not. And I was so proud of her because how many how many players would try and force that situation, go mess up and then hate themselves for it? Yeah. She knew that she could tell me that and I wouldn't be pissed at her because that she would normally players are thinking this late in the season I should be prepared. But in that moment she said she wasn't and I didn't hold it against her. In fact I was proud of her.
0: Could you imagine a world in which we're empowering players? <laughs> yeah. And see I, I
1: just feel like that's the that's sort of what we want to do. Um, how to do that is gonna always be ever changing from personality to personality.
0: But I like to, to revisit kind of your the recruiting idea of saying to someone, you, we, you have been chosen or you we think you would fit into the mold that we have here and right. they are then joining you in an environment that they have already brought into or they understand their place in it and it's not necessarily about them.
1: And every recruit gets so weird when you ask it. Um, like every recruit knows why we should want them. Um, but they don't, what I find is they don't, they're not the most comfortable when I say, why should we want you? An on field ability doesn't count. And that's really hard for them to answer. Some of them can answer straight away and say, well, I'm very supportive, like blah, 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 blah. Those are the kids that nine times out of ten will fit perfectly. Sure. The ones that have to question it. It doesn't mean that they can't fit perfectly. It means that they don't know themselves yet. So, what what does the best player on the team bring off out, outside of the field? Normally, your best player can't say, "I'm the most supported," and the ones that can have already got all the officers elsewhere because they've made that difference. Um, so, are they going to bring? Are they going to add to the team? Are they going to multiply in terms of bringing people together? Are they going to subtract in terms of um, pissing people off? Or are they going to divide in terms of trying really? get people on their side to turn against the thing which only divides the locker room so, um, that we always want them, why should we recruit uh, you outside of playing ability and no Division 1 going to gonna commit to do the next day can look at me and say you're not good enough because they don't know us on that level, they only know their athletic ability, so at the end of the day what, what makes them different? We can find 100 athletes, we can find 100 soccer players, we can't find 100 great
0: You're always on Twitter at Coach Colton. I think the the stuff we've connected on on Twitter has been brilliant. I think that even just reading things like you, I I, I looked at it the other day when you posted about that um, that recruit saying committing to you, and I saw the same thing. She's like, yeah, this is great. Thank you so much. And you're like, yeah, great. Work. Welcome to the family. <laughs> just brilliant. Yeah. I think so. I recommend everybody to come follow you for sure to to see to see what Colton's it's world funny is if like. Anything. Yeah, absolutely. Colton wraps up there. He's super busy on Twitter and it is often pretty funny too with him sharing about his interaction with his players. So definitely check him out, at Coach Colton. And to summarize now, there's there's so much that we cover there. And I think there's so many pieces of quality information from just taking advantage of opportunities that are presented to you from his early days, then talking about if you are doing the best for your players, that it's an environment where they can be the best, that they can be, or at least working to be the best. And they mentioned something that I thought was super interesting about not taking losses personally because you feel like you have done the best that you can do to prepare your players and that's something that's super prevalent especially in the youth game where there's a lot of variables in in the game and if you can walk away from it saying that you did your best i think that that's not necessarily a selfish kind of self-winning attitude but it's an environment that will help keep you calm especially in on the wild sides of youth soccer so talking about the conversations with players and then building trust and he really hit on why and to be that person that he never had as a player and I often joke about probably being a pro if I'd have had me as a coach and I think we're very connected on the why what is your why why do you do what you do why are you out there every day why are you working your socks off so a huge thank you to Colton a huge thank you to tactical pad and of course soccer innovations Uh, support means so much to me because I get to use quality material and I get to tell you about quality material too and don't forget to leave me a voicemail. Your voicemails mean a lot. I'd love to listen to them. I love to then incorporate them into future podcasts. So if you have a suggestion or a recommendation or some input, then I want to know about it. I want to put it out there. You always check me out at Lee Dunn Soccer on Twitter. You check me out on my website, LeeDunnSoccer.com. I have plenty of blogs out there and then more information coming soon too. So more coming very soon. Here it is, Lee Dunn Soccer.